There's a very comical video on Twitter of Victor Bout being interviewed in Russia after he got home and explaining to the Russian media that there's like 72 genders in America. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's obviously he's not speaking in English, so you have to trust the subtitles are translating it correctly, but he's very animated and like, can you believe it? <laughs> listeners context quick overview of basically what's happened Brittany Griner is a WNBA star and she went to Russia during the WNBA offseason to go play club basketball and on February 17th 2022 mm -hmm. she was arrested at a Moscow airport because she brought hash oil with her honest like she completely forgot that she had it and had it in her suitcase and hash oil is basically cannabis oil. So it's marijuana. Yeah. Weed. And she was arrested right before Russia invaded Ukraine. Worst timing ever. Oh, horrible timing. Can I just say also, what are you doing? Can you please? You're going to Russia. Why are you not looking through your suitcase? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Mistake number one, okay? You're going to a hostile country. It's not like they're our friend. Yeah, no, I, d I mean, I've never been to Russia, but if I was going to Russia, I'd definitely have a different packing list than most trips. <laughs> it would have like a check and then double check type of policy associated with it. She did travel to Russia a lot for basketball, so So she did travel start, previously? Yeah, because she played WNBA salaries are so small, they have to play in other leagues a lot. So a lot of WNBA players go to Russia to play. So she had been traveling to Russia, so maybe like you start super organized and and then over time, you just kind of get relaxed and end up with something in your bag that you didn't intend to have. I don't know. Yeah, it, if I was going to Russia, I would be kind of going through all of my pocket. Not that, I, I mean, I'm not going to have any of that in my bag anyways, but right. you would just be more careful with what you're bringing into the country. Right. And I'm not trying to make light of her arrest by any means, but like, come on. Yeah. And I mean, th there is that level of what are you doing? Like, yeah. this is your responsibility for doing this. Yes. But it's just. For me, that like kind of transitioned over when you get to like the punishment fits the crime type of stuff. That level of hash oil in Russia, I believe, based on their law, was punishable by it was like 15 days in jail and like a $5,000 fine. Are you and sure? Yes. I think the maximum was 10 years. So the way I understood it was if it was like two grams or two milligrams to something, but if it's below that, then it's considered a personal amount and it's punishable by like up to 15 days in jail or something in Russia? like that. Yeah. But don't Russia, Russia and other countries outside of the US are typically a lot stricter on drugs than we are. Yes. But my understanding was Russia isn't as strict as like Thailand or some of those Asian countries will give you the death sentence for having weed and they'll enforce it on Australian citizens and American citizens. Whoa. Um, and there's nothing we can do about it. And it doesn't get as much news because everyone's just been like, I mean, it's, it's your country and everyone going into the country knows that's the rule. My understanding was Russia is not as strict as that. But there was the there was reporting coming out from her trial that the arresting officer in their interview admitted that the amount of hash oil that she had was lower than what had been originally reported and that the textbook punishment for that level would have been 15 days or so in jail. Maybe she was aware of that. We're sitting here talking about it, not because Brittany Griner got caught with weed in Russia and went to jail for 15 days. We're sitting here talking about it because she got sentenced to what, like six years in jail? How long was it? It was nine years. Nine years. Yeah. Okay. So on that note, basically she was sentenced to nine years in Russian prison for drug smuggling. And that was 
on August 4th was her sentencing hearing. Mm -hmm. And then after that, she was sent to a penal colony in Moldova, which is, is it like 250 miles outside of Moscow? Yeah, it's like five or six hours outside of... Five or six hours outside of Moscow. And in certain reports that I read, people had mentioned or commentated that Russia knew this was kind of over the top and they did it because they could leverage her. Yeah, I mean, this was a clear politically motivated arrest, right? Yeah. Absolutely. That's really interesting. And other people who had been asked, I think there were Russian officials who were interviewed asking about this penal colony in Moldova. And there's like 38 other female penal colonies she could have been sent to. Mm -hmm. But this one apparently is rough. Like, rough, rough. Uh, yeah, the, is the gulag the term for the Russian prisons? It's, <laughs> I wouldn't want to go to any, the least rough one in Russia, much less the one in Moldova. Could you imagine? I read some article where she, so she had dreadlocks, and she had to cut her dreadlocks off because after she showered, they'd freeze. Yeah. It's that cold, and she's just in prison. Yeah. Probably treated like, you know, scum, pretty much. Well, and I mean, Russia doesn't have the most tolerant view of LGBT. BTQ rights Ooh, as well on top of that. So yeah, I'm sure it was hell for her. It would be for any American. I would not want to wind up in a Russian prison. No, definitely not. And we're like the tundra. What's it? Serbia? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm good. I'll pass. Yeah. yeah no, I'm okay with that. <laughs> So she's a big story right now because on December 8th, a prisoner swap took place Mm -hmm. and people have a lot to say about that. Yeah. Do you want to kind of give the overview of the prisoner swap? Yeah. So they traded Brittany Griner for the merchant of death is his nickname. To be fair, that's just a nickname. We don't know why you got that nickname. It could be like an inside joke um, or something else. No, that's not accurate. (laughs) To be fair, uh, he has a very good reason for that nickname. He was an arms dealer for a number of years that would supply oppressive governments or armies fighting in civil wars or trying to overthrow their current government or terrorist organizations with weapons that they shouldn't be supplied and that was why he went to jail and we traded him for Brittany Griner. What are your thoughts? You have to like break it up into two things because it's should we try to get Brittany Griner home? Yes. Is that the person that we should swap with Brittany Griner? My personal opinion is yes. Uh, he had been in jail for like 11 years or something, and it was a 25-year sentence. So he still had, I think it was 14 more years left on his prison sentence. Would have been eligible for parole in about four to five years. Not saying he would have gotten parole in four to five years, but so it's not like this guy was in prison for life. You know, hopefully there was something behind closed doors where Homeland Security or our government got comfortable that they'd either be able to monitor his network or, you know, his network had deteriorated after being in prison for 11 years that he's not going to hit the streets and start supplying weapons overnight. Maybe. I don't know. We'll have to see. But I agreed with the swap. So why do you feel like it was a justifiable swap knowing that there are two other Americans currently in Russian prison right now? One is a history teacher and one is a retired Marine. So my understanding from that is the retired Marine was convicted on espionage in Russia. I don't know if the teacher was or not. I don't think the teacher was, but I will say the U.S. government has said those claims were baseless. Right. But like the actual conviction was spy. What I read is going to jail in Russia for hash oil versus 
being convicted of espionage, even if it's phony or two different things. And so the way to get Paul Whelan home, I think is the Marine's name, is we're going to have to send back a spy. It's going to have to be like a spy for a spy type thing. Yeah. And so what I read in the New York Times was that Russia wasn't willing to do the merchant of death for Paul Whelan and that they wanted spy that was convicted of espionage in Germany to be the trade for that. And the German government said no way. That assassin guy, what was yeah. his name? He was a Russian spy that was convicted of murdering, I think, a Georgian citizen. Vadim Krasikov was yeah. the assassin. I'm not going to recognize the name off the top of my head. <laughs> but apparently that's what, even if the espionage conviction is bogus from Russia's point of view, it's like spy for spy is what y'all are going to have to trade for that. If you're asking like if America got the option, it was like, hey, we want the merchant of death. You can either have Paul Whelan or Brittany Griner. I don't know what the best choice is. You want to find a way to bring them both home as well as that teacher uh, well, that yeah. you mentioned. So the merchant of death's name is Victor Bao. And he was arrested in 2008 by the DEA in Thailand and was convicted of conspiring to kill U.S. citizens and officials, acquiring and exporting anti-aircraft <laughs> missiles, and providing material to terrorist organizations. Yeah. And so, like you mentioned, he would be the supplier of ammunition and weapons mm -hmm. for war-torn countries. So Liberia, Afghanistan was one. Colombia was another one. And that was the one that they got him on, is mm -hmm. trying to conspire with a Colombian terrorist organization saying, your enemies in America are my enemies. And that's how they got him. Critics of the swap would point back to Afghanistan and the withdrawal. Mm-hmm. And how Biden and the administration seem to have left tens of thousands of American allies behind, as well as troops. And those 13 soldiers died mm -hmm. during that withdrawal. And so there's a lot of criticism about leaving another Marine behind in Russia, especially if he's being charged with espionage. Mm -hmm. There's a there is a major incentive to bring him home. And there are conservative critics who would say Brittany Griner is an idiot. Yeah. You know, like she's an anti-American basketball player you know she's kneeling for the national during the national anthem she talks about how she feels like america is systemically racist and is hateful towards america yeah and so critics would say why are you bringing somebody who hates america home just because she's a celebrity that's convenient during this time in 2022 and my counter to that is like her political opinions shouldn't really matter from my perspective whether she loves america or hates america we should try to get her home and for me it's i get the britney kreiner's an idiot argument <laughs> like I, we just talked about it like right. why on earth would you bring that into russia but at the same time like it's it was just so clear that she was being used as a, a politically motivated you know arrest like this wasn't a random year where an american was caught with marijuana and sentenced to jail it was like a very clear politically motivated move and so I th for me that was more of a motivation to try to get her home is because like an American is being used as a politically mm -hmm. motivated type move regardless of her mistakes and that we should try to get her home yeah no I agree I mean I I'm posing the argument to play devil's advocate and, and part of me does agree with some of those conservative opinions but I will say I agree with you that no matter who she is she should be brought home you know I think it's a little bit it's cold and a little harsh to just say well she's a She's an idiot, so she shouldn't come home when yeah. you have somebody else. I will say what this looks like and how this plays out on the world stage. Biden is receiving a lot of criticism for this because now it's enforcing, reinforcing to Russia. Oh, OK, if we have celebrity Americans who we can go pick off and take hostage yeah. to try to swap for notorious arms dealers who are literally this guy, Victor Bout, is the most notorious arms dealer in the world. Uh, there's a Nicolas Cage movie about him. I haven't seen that movie yet, but I want to watch it. I think it's called Lord of War. Yeah. 
We should watch it. Yeah. That would be such good research. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a Nicolas Cage movie, which is always fun. But Loved him in National Treasure. I mean, and yeah, that's kind of the whole don't negotiate with terrorists type argument, right? Is yeah. When, and, and, or once you open that door, you can't close it, and that will be a motivation again. I mean, I get that, and I think that the way to deal with that is Americans probably shouldn't try to go visit Russia anytime in the foreseeable future. Don't um, go to a hostile nation. Yeah. It's just at the end of the day, like that if we do this now, that will motivate Russia to do this again doesn't eliminate the possibility of, of doing it regardless. And yep. we'll have to deal with it going forward now that we've opened this door or potentially opened this door. But we got an American home, which I think at the end of the day was a good thing, regardless of how she feels about America. And there's two other Americans in, in Russia. And I hope that this administration and the next administration finds a way to bring them home. Because I think with all three, it was clear that they're being there. They're there for politically motivated reasons. Yes, 100%. There's a very comical video on Twitter of Victor Bout being interviewed in Russia after he got home and explaining to the Russian media that there's like 72 genders in America. It's obviously he's not speaking in English, so you have to trust the subtitles are translating it correctly, but he's very animated and like, can you believe it? There's not just normal people and then gay people. There's 72 genders. Could you imagine being a Russian citizen and listening to that? Yeah. From somebody who's been imprisoned in the United States for 10 years saying, you guys, you will never guess. I'm sorry, that's not funny, but that's kind of funny to I think mean, about. It, it, it is funny because it, it's just, it's funny. It's funny that that's like one of his main takeaways from yeah. being in captivity for the, for 11 years or however long it was. Things are different in the West, I guess. Yeah. Okay, so I wanted to make another point, And I have to give credit to a political commentator I follow. His name's Michael Knowles. And I was watching his show on, I think it was on Friday. So it was December 9th show. And okay, do you remember our conversation last time you were on the podcast about immigration? Yes. And how things might not always be what they seem when our politicians are telling us the reasons for their policies and pushing certain agendas. Yeah. And how maybe there is an incentive that Democrats, as an example, don't talk about of making Texas blue. But they wouldn't say that. Okay. So with that concept in mind of things aren't always what they seem, this commentator, Michael Knowles, made a point that especially on the international stage, Mm -hmm. this can be true as it relates to foreign policy, because a lot of what we hear is propaganda based on what, you know, the U.S. wants to tell its citizens, as well as what Russia, as an example, wants to tell its citizens. You know, Mm -hmm. different countries are being told different narratives to justify certain actions. Yeah. So recently, the U.K. actually announced that it would start importing American natural gas without fracking themselves. So the UK would not be producing their own domestic natural gas, Mm -hmm. but they would be importing American natural gas in place of Russian energy Mm -hmm. because of the sanctions that we've all put on Russia. The US has put on Russia. I think everybody in NATO has put on Russia essentially. So Russia invaded Ukraine. Nobody liked that. So every the entire world put sanctions on Russia. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't just true for UK. It was true for basically most of Europe yeah. to start turning their supplier of energy away from Russia into a supplier or an exporter of natural gas, oil, whatever, to somebody who had a lot of it. 
like yeah. America. And that had been the warning for a couple of years of Europe is that Europe was so Russian energy dependent. And yep. at some point, if there's any type of geopolitical situation, Europe could be in trouble from the yeah. standpoint of energy prices. Yeah. That is where we're at. Yeah. Right. So now the UK, along with the rest of the countries in Europe who have placed sanctions on Russia are not receiving that same kind of energy supply. Mm -hmm. The U.S. is an exporter of energy. So now Europe is turning their attention to America and looking to import American oil and energy as a result of the Ukraine war and the global sanctions on Russia. So the U.S. actually has an economic interest in prolonging the Ukraine war because it it literally monetarily economically benefits the U.S. to turn Europe away from Russia. And so it's interesting because when you look back at Trump and his presidency, yeah. a lot of people on the left were criticizing him for colluding with the Ukrainian government. And there was all of that disinformation about was Trump on the phone with Ukraine during certain critical pieces of, in time mm -hmm. that maybe linked him to some sort of corruption or collusion of some sort. And now... Russia invades Ukraine and everyone is putting up a Ukraine flag and, you know, pray for Ukraine and all this stuff. Yeah. Not saying that innocent people shouldn't be supported. I think the Ukrainian people, as a disclaimer, don't deserve what's happening to them right now. What's going on there is awful. But it's really interesting that it turned on a dime like that. And now we're talking about how Russia is evil. We shouldn't be allowing Russia to succeed in this war, we need to be helping Ukraine. We need to be sending ammunition to Ukraine to defend against Russia. And it's it literally Putin thought this was going to take days. Not just Putin. There was the outside, even American estimate that, you know, from an invasion to 30 days, Kiev would fall. Yeah. And it has. I mean, Ukraine is in, and Russia are still in conflict. Yeah. OK, so America is now saying, you know, we shouldn't be allowing Russia anywhere near weapons of mass destruction. You know, nuclear war can be on the table. And that's something that is horrible and we should stray away from that and Russia's evil and we need to cut them off at the knees sort of yeah. thing. Isn't it interesting that we just released the world's largest arms dealer who happens to be a Russian citizen who happens to have potential military ties to Russia? Yeah. Isn't it interesting that now this guy's released, Ukraine conflict might continue? I mean... And reminder, this is economically beneficial for the United States because I, you are looking at a full market of energy importers now. I think there are multiple benefits to the United States in the Ukraine war. One, just as you said, the energy mi migration that Europe has from, from Russian energy to other sources, including the United States. Hopefully, I, I think the hope is that that's a permanent migration too. Like even if the Ukraine war ended tomorrow, it's not like Europe's going to go back to importing Russian oil. I think that's just a, a clean break for the foreseeable future and it's a permanent change. You have the benefit of decimating Russia's military without having to fire a single shot from American troops. You look at all the money that's been sent to Ukraine, trying to avoid the politics of that for a second, but you look into all the money and, and resources that have been provided to Ukraine, it's, it's a lot of money, but it's still less expensive than having a direct war with Russia and Russian reserves and planes and troops and all of that are getting decimated right now compared to where they were before. So it's a very cost-effective way, arguably, to counter Russia's military. And then there there are a number of benefits to America for the war uh, in Ukraine. I don't think we need to hide those facts. But yeah, at the end of the day, there are probably people within the American government that want the Ukraine-Russian war to continue. And we're happy that it started. From a GDP perspective, we are about to supply Europe with energy in place of Russia. Yeah. 
I mean, that's a that's a win-win for the United States. That's a huge win. I almost feel like politics on a global scale is a game of chess. Yeah. And what we're told on our news channels or even on Twitter is not at all what the real truth is. It's just a story. Yeah, it's for sure a story. It's a pitch from the government on how they want to sell whatever it is they're trying to do. Geopolitics is really confusing, and you're right, it is a game of chess. But yeah, I mean, there are clear benefits to the Russian-Ukraine invasion from America's point of view. And so then doesn't it justify a little bit more why you would trade a celebrity WNBA player who accidentally snuck in weed to Russia for the most notorious arms dealer in the world? I mean, it's for sure possible that there were some people in government that felt like that was, uh, you know, the pros and cons list of making that trade that on the pro side would be that he can supply more weapons to Russia. You know, I think most of those see that as a con, but there's probably some pretty cynical people within the government that saw that as a pro. I mean, there's two sides to every coin. On the other hand, though, the fact that this guy is now released does make it a little bit more dangerous for Americans because even when the DEA arrested him, Victor Bout, in 2008 in Thailand, he wasn't even supposed to be there. He wasn't even supposed to leave Russia because he was on a watch list. Yeah. And he was tempted enough with this deal by this Colombian terrorist group to go and meet them and say, all right, I'll, I'll help you out. Yeah. And that's how we caught him. Yeah. But like before then, he was still able to operate very well within the confines of his safe places. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I said it before and we'll never know the true answer, but I'm hoping there was some level of comfort with the fact that he's been imprisoned for 11 years and his network isn't as strong as it was, you know, before he got arrested. I mean, if you think back to like, if you watch like the narco shows on television, right? I mean, you arrest the leader of a drug cartel and another one steps in his place and like, yeah arresting the leader most of the time doesn't even cripple the organization and once that leader is in jail it's not really the same he doesn't have the same power he doesn't have the same influence even if he escapes and so hopefully hopefully there was some level of comfort with this guy's been in prison for 11 years other people have taken over as major arms dealers and he's not gonna be able to have the same negative impact on the world once he gets out of prison but we'll never actually know that answer for sure. But we'll even <laughs> if that wasn't something they got comfortable with, I still think the trade to get Brittany Griner home made sense. Brittany Griner is a very polarizing figure in the Baylor community. Is she really? Little, yeah, yeah, absolutely. There is a, a huge portion of the fan base that does not like Brittany Griner. Is she from Baylor? She played basketball at Baylor, but she... I did not know that. She That's didn't so interesting. come out while she was at Baylor. Yeah. And after she left Baylor, she talked about how the head coach, Kim Mulkey, basically told her, like, you can't openly be lesbian if you're going to play basketball here. Really? Like, you can't. Baylor basically wouldn't let her come out. So she, she has a lot of very negative things to say about Baylor. And, you know, Baylor has a huge Southern Baptist fan base. And so there is a very large group of the Baylor fan base that does not like Brittany Griner and did not want her to come home. Um, Whoa. Yeah. It's not like the automatic cheer that everyone assumes it would be with Baylor. There is also a, a huge portion of the fan base like me that's happy that she's home at the end of the day. But yeah, Brittany Griner is not like a universally beloved figure within the Baylor community whatsoever that is so interesting i didn't realize she went to baylor i'm kind of in your camp regardless of any of your political beliefs or anyone's political beliefs i don't wish being stuck for nine years in a russian prison on anybody you know 
Yeah. I would not wish an American being in Russian prison on anybody. Yeah. A foreigner being in Russian prison on anybody. Yeah. 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 Okay. Do you have any final thoughts on Brittany Griner, Victor Bao, anything that we've talked about with her coming home or even just the overall foreign global political game of chess? At the end of the day, I'm happy Brittany Griner's home. I hope that we're able to get Paul Whelan and any other Americans home as well. I hope the administration doesn't stop trying to make that that trade and i hope our add minds in the 24 hours news cycle don't drift away from that and have us all forget about it so that we can keep the pressure up i hope they're able to come home i hope victor about like isn't able to do anything now that he's out of prison and can just go on russian news and talk about all the things that he thought were weird about america instead of actually supplying arms to people that shouldn't have them i don't know we'll see we don't need to deep dive into the ukraine war but agree with you completely regardless of whether or not you support specific things about the ukraine war i think everyone feels that the ukraine people don't deserve to have what's happening even the russian soldiers that are conscripted and and don't want to be fighting in the war they don't deserve what's happening to them either but i've always been of the opinion that it's a really effective tool for the united states to negatively impact russia and it's working yeah not to get too off topic as we round out this conversation the one thing i am interested to see kind of fall together is the russia china relationship especially that's something else i actually do want to talk to you about on a future podcast is the chinese protest about covid yeah so you know to be continued but yeah and we don't have to get into that but i I think it's really interesting with China and Russia because you could argue that they're America's two greatest enemies, quote Mm -hmm. unquote, but they're also two very different countries where Russia wants a certain level of disconnection from the geopolitical world and, you know, the globalization of the world, whereas China very much does not want that. China wants to have economic and trade with all of these different countries. And I don't think China wants to be as alienated. I think China is less comfortable than Russia is in terms of alienation from the West. And so it's it's a little bit different with those two countries. But the relationship that they're going to have with each other is always a little bit ominous to think about and, and really interesting. It's pretty threatening. Yeah. And I would say, I think I might disagree with you on China. They are looking to expand their empire. And they have done a very good job of weakening American institutions and laying strategic alliances with Latin American countries through their Silk Road initiative, which, you know, for those of you who don't know, again, to not get too in the weeds on this, but they've basically gone into Latin American countries and said, hey, we'll build infrastructure for you with Chinese currency. Well, and it's like a a game of whack-a-mole because the U.S. will ignore a Latin American country or African country and not really have good relationship with it. Mm -hmm. And then China will say that they're opening up a military base there or funding a new highway system. And then the U.S. is like, hey, uh, Zambia or whatever, like we're we're buddies. Like we're going to come visit you and like y'all should open up an embassy here. And it's like, If you are a country that doesn't have a lot of impact on the global scale and you want the West to pay attention to you, a really easy way to get that to happen is to start doing business with China or threatening to do business with China. Totally. I Um, actually do want you to come back and we can have like a full deep dive into China and the foreign policy as it relates to America because that's going to be so interesting. Yeah, for sure. I know we've spent a lot of time talking about the Twitter files and Brittany Griner. Last topic that we wanted to discuss today was the Balenciaga scandal. So I'll just give some context and then I'll ask your thoughts. So basically in November, Balenciaga launched a marketing campaign that included children holding teddy bear purses that were dressed in bondage gear, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of BDSM stuff. And internally, a lot of Balenciaga people were saying, oh, well, we just thought it was punk outfits. But Mm -hmm. 
got a lot of backlash from the right wing side that it was a little bit more suggestive and sexualized. Yeah. And in a separate campaign, because that seemed kind of weird, coincidental, a little bit weird, and we shouldn't want our children subjected to that kind of thing, but sort of a one-off. And then in a separate campaign that dropped on November 21st, there was this bag that they made in collaboration with Adidas from their spring collection that they were promoting. And it was laid on top of documents from a Supreme Court case, Mm -hmm. U.S. versus Williams, which was a case that protected against child pornography. And when you put those together, it's kind of like, okay, well, is this a coincidence? Because that's a very specific court document. After we're seeing you in an advertisement campaign, having children pose with a sexualized teddy bear bag. So what are your thoughts on all that? First off, who's buying their kid Balenciaga? Like, <laughs> that's not that's not exactly related, but Jesus, Kim Kardashian, I guess. I don't like, know. <laughs> ooh. So this isn't a story that I've paid close attention to, but from what I have read and seen, I see a lot of similarities with when we were kids. Abercrombie and Fitch got a lot of blowback for some of the clothes that they released to kids and the sexualization of it. And I remember my mom not letting me shop there for and certain. She was like Hollister's a little bit better. So <laughs> wait, my mom um, said the same thing. Yeah. And so like I, I could go to Hollister for back school shopping and pick out clothes and jeans there. I could not go to Abercrombie and Fitch because it was too sexualized. And I feel like there's a lot of similarities in that. That's an interesting comparison. Um, Although I do feel like Abercrombie. Be, they were targeting teenagers yeah, more than anything. It's definitely a different age group. Yeah, no, I agree. Versus, um, like, these kids in these pictures are probably 10. And they have Balenciaga stuff? They're holding teddy bear purses. I mean, yeah, it's it's weird. It's bizarre. I'm totally supportive of public blowback to, that, to that. those type of clothes. Yeah. It's very weird, and it's, it's gross. Yeah. And to me, I mean, okay, so to kind of round out the story, basically Balenciaga responded to that blowback by filing a lawsuit against the set designer, but then eventually dropped the suit. I don't know why they dropped the suit, mm-hmm. but they dropped the suit. And the CEO came out and said that they'd put more processes in place to prevent this kind of marketing from happening again. Yeah. And is going to make an effort to support organizations dedicated to supporting children. So two things that I want to call out here. First is this idea of shockvertising, making your campaigns memorable because you did something super out of the box that nobody was expecting. So you even get, if it gets like negative. Yeah. What what's the saying? Back. No pub, or no, any yeah. publicity is good publicity. And so when you're a brand that wants to shake things up or generate buzz, you're going to do something a little shocking. Yeah. But at what point is it too much? Yeah. Because I don't know if you felt this way growing up. I had an awkward face when I was a kid. Like, I was not cute for a hot minute. Okay? I still had my awkward face. <laughs> but I look at kids that I used to babysit or yeah. kids that grew up in the era of Instagram and TikTok and makeup and contouring and all these things. And they just look older. Like, they never had an awkward phase. They just act like they're adults already. Yeah. And it's this willingness to not be a kid and just to like be mature and exposed to these things that really adults are supposed to be exposed to yeah paired with the shock value of this campaign like we're just in an interesting time right now in society where kids can't be kids anymore yeah and the age of exposure to these sort of things is getting younger yeah the age of exposure to social media too right like the age that a kid gets their first cell phone these days is completely different than the age that we got our first cell phones and so like yeah children's exposure to the world for everything that's good and bad in it is completely different than it was when we were kids and 
same with that. And I mean, I'll say this, every single one of those kids that doesn't get to be a kid anymore and thinks it's a good thing are going to be 29 years old like me, wishing that they could go back to middle school <laughs> and not have to pay any bills or have a job or any responsibilities. Uh, right. So uh, enjoy again. it while it lasts. Yeah. The shock value advertising thing. I think I agree with that. Yeah, that absolutely does happen. And some of those companies have to decide this is going to cause negative publicity, but it's also going to be good publicity for us, right? And Generate people are going to remember. I hadn't thought about Balenciaga in six months and I'm seeing it all over the internet now for better or worse. But I think it's good that the public can lash out against that and have it be effective. Where yeah. now Balenciaga has to tone it back. We, we were just talking about like outside influence convincing Twitter to, to ban Donald Trump and like we didn't like how Twitter gave into outside influence. This is almost the reverse where it's a yeah. good thing that a company is forced to react to public public sentiment totally yeah it's a good way for the public to check balenciaga yeah. in a way and, but it's also really it's just sad because right now human trafficking is a huge problem mm -hmm. there are more people i think there's some stat and i can't think of it off the top of my head but basically more people are enslaved through human trafficking in the world than there ever have been in history mm -hmm. and the rise in pedophilia is something that is since like an actual sincere problem in our culture yeah and when you are advertising kids girls little girls holding these teddy bears that are dressed in bdsm yeah. outfits it sends a message that it's not only it's okay but we encourage it yeah. is what basically balenciaga is saying yeah it's so shocking but it's shocking right now. And with the rise in all of this in our culture, yeah. you don't want to normalize it. And that, I think, is why there's so much public backlash. Because you want to protect your kid's innocence at the end of the day. Yeah. And you don't want to condone child abuse. Yeah. Well, and that's what I was kind of saying before. Like, it's almost comforting that there's public backlash. And the scary part is if we get to a place where this happens and there isn't public backlash, yeah. or there's not effective public backlash. As someone who hasn't paid super close attention to this story, I'm interested in what the counter argument is. Like, who's defending Balenciaga? <laughs> well, you know, there are people out there who say we don't want to call people pedophiles because yeah. that's offensive. We want to call them minor attracted individuals. Yeah. Like, I think it's literally minor attracted persons. It's MAP. And it's this quote-unquote inclusive way of describing them and saying that it's not like creepy or wrong, but it's wrong. Yeah. It's wrong. Right. You know, these kids can't, I don't have words. I can't even articulate how wrong it is, but there are people who can look at that and say, it's not a big deal. Come on. You're going to, you're making a big deal out of nothing and move on because yeah. you're offending people with this backlash. No, like I there mean, are people out there. My mom works for a organization that deals with sexually abused children and like the stories are, are, terrifying and there's a dozen new stories every single day it's no it, it's just wild i'm sure there's the mental illness aspect to a, a certain extent and, sure. a, and a chance to reach some of those people before they act on those urges and tendencies but we should never call it right or defend it or give anyone a free pass for it right and even speaking about mental health if you have a mental illness then you need to be treated for the mental illness yeah. you shouldn't be encouraged to lean into it you know yeah, I, I agree it's just wild that there's people defending that and I'm, I'm glad that there's public backlash to it and that the public backlash is being effective what has your mom said about all of it I mean she thinks it's like gross as well yeah well I hope that we can continue talking about it and making sure that it doesn't get normalized because at the end of the day the children in our society need to be protected yeah and you're so impressionable at that age oh like, yeah 
really minor changes in fashion or culture can have a huge impact on what those kids are like as they get older. Yes. With us, obviously. 100% what you're exposed to as a kid informs who you become. Yeah. And we don't want to set our kids up to have some skewed understanding of reality. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree. Anyways. Okay. Well, I mean, this has been a really great conversation. I'm glad that we got to hit on Balenciaga as well as these other things. Do you have any final thoughts before we round it out? I don't know. I, I think on all three conversations, we found common ground and agreed on things. But I think today's three things, we agreed on a lot, maybe Most of more it, than I the would other. Say. Yeah. So now I'm just thinking through in my head, it's like, is society better than it was last time we had the podcast? A little bit, because some of these hot button topics are people <laughs> that think are things that people are actually agreeing with. And that's probably not the answer. But We're, I think we as people across the board are probably more alike than yeah. we are different. And when we actually start to talk about it, we realize we have shared values. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we're, we're now past the midterms, right? And every news story or political opinion or controversy that's going to be amplified in the lead up to an election are going to be very polarizing things. And yeah. so like now we're past it. And I think some of the things that are being amplified are, are less polarizing, maybe. Maybe that's it. Um, I'd also love to have you back on to talk about just political parties and China. Yeah, you know that would be, be really interesting. Yeah, I mean, the midterms were a very interesting time. They were. I know we're almost out of time, so I don't want to even go there yeah. yet <laughs> just because we don't have time to go and talk about it. Yeah. But we should definitely do a follow-up where we talk through all of that because that would be very interesting to get your perspective. Yeah. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what these first couple of months with the the new landscape are like and yeah. circle back on that. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dusty, for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was a lot of fun. Before we wrap up today, though, you have to rate the wine. I think that was my least favorite wine out of the ones Your we've had. Your least favorite wine? Yeah. Okay, so this- Out of the ones we've had, not like my least favorite wine ever. Right. I feel like we've had some pretty good ones on yeah. here. So to remind everybody, this was the Louis or Louis, still not sure. M. Martini, Cabernet Sauvignon from 2018. But it was still good. So what would you say you didn't like as much about it? I'm not a wine connoisseur, unfortunately. You're going to, because of the amount of times you're coming on this podcast, like you're going to become one. (laughs) Um, The other ones I felt like had more like flavor. This just kind of felt like wine. That doesn't make any sense. But like. Like it wasn't as bold. Yeah. Needs a little. A little something, something. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I'll have to do better for next time. Actually, you know what? I blame Scott. He bought the wine. Okay, great. Um, Thank you so much for rating the wine. And thank you so much for coming on. This has been a great conversation as always. Yeah. And are you going to be found on Twitter now? Yeah. I mean, I'm on Twitter. No one needs to look at my Twitter. It's real dusty, right? Real dusty, right? Yeah. So instead of real Donald Trump, it's real dusty, right? Real dusty, right? I was very proud that I was able to get that handle. That's a good one. Yeah. It makes me feel famous. You are famous. (laughs) You're famous to this podcast. I used to have thousands of followers on Twitter. Really? Yeah. What happened? In middle school, I made a fake Selena Gomez Twitter account to mess with my friend that was obsessed (laughs) with Selena Gomez and forgot about it. Um, But it had like 5,000 followers and I remembered it in college. Yeah. And I just deleted my Twitter account and then deleted all of the Selena Gomez tweets and changed the handle to Real Dusty Right. And then it was like overnight, I had 5,000 followers and then... I was losing like 200 followers a week from these probably teenage kids that thought they that were thought following you were, Selena Gomez. Yeah. So it definitely, it was a pretty consistent burn from 5,000 to like, it's less than 500 now. <laughs> no. But there was definitely a point in time where I had a lot of Twitter followers. That was fun. That's cool. Yeah. 
everybody, if you want to go follow Dusty for any kind of football commentary or Baylor football, Baylor specifically Baylor football commentary, definitely hit him up at Real Dusty Wright. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody can find you on Instagram at Dub Nasty. Dub Nasty. That's my favorite name you have. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you again so much, Dusty, for joining. This has, again, been an awesome conversation. I can't wait to have you back on. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. This was great. All right, everybody. This has been Wine and Politics. Make sure to give this episode five stars, give it a review, and share it with a friend. And I'll put Dusty's Twitter and Instagram in the description so y'all can go follow him. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye.